Hello and welcome, everyone. We're so glad that you are in worship today. We welcome everyone from Latham, from Half Moon, from Saratoga. God is doing so many wonderful and uh, awesome things through this congregation, and uh, we're so glad that we are spread all over the Capital District, really. We live here, we work here, kind of do life here together, and uh, we're so grateful we can come together to worship. You know, as we get older, we discover things about ourselves. I'm sure you find that to be true of you, and one thing I know about me is I hate to wait. I mean, it, it, it's just one of my least favorite things to do. I, I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting for a doctor's appointment, waiting for an athletic wound to heal. Uh, I don't like waiting for a repair person to come and fix something. In fact, I do just about anything I can to avoid a scenario where I'm going to be sitting around just kind of in waiting mode. I guess that's why I've always identified with that great American theologian, Tom Petty. Yes, that's the one, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, where he's saying, the waiting is the hardest part. I'm curious, am I alone in this? I mean, I want to see a show of hands at every location. I would ask you to slip your hand up with me if you really struggle with this thing we call waiting. Could I say your hand, please? Thank you. I feel a lot better. Thank you for identifying and letting us know you struggle with this too. Well, here's the deal. If you struggle with waiting, then you can really identify with the older covenant, what we call the Old Testament people of God. Because here's the thing. They were in a waiting mode, and I'm talking about big-time waiting. Today, Bible scholars refer to it as the intertestamental period. It was a period of roughly 400 years between the last Old Testament book that was written and the first, uh, well, actually the coming of Jesus Christ. You say, well, (laughs) okay, what were they waiting for? Well, that's such an important question, and really, it's one of the keys to understanding the Old Testament. Because right from the beginning, I mean, shortly after people fell into sin and we knew there needed to be a solution, God started making promises. That's what every student of the Old Testament really needs to know. God started making promises. There's over 300 of them recorded in the Old Testament that Messiah would come. This one who would come as Savior and Lord, this one who would save his people from their sins. But here's the problem. What's taken so long? It was a long time. And not only were they waiting a long time, but God went silent on them. Have you noticed that when you're waiting for something, it's a lot better if you keep getting updates, right? I mean, it makes the waiting easier. At least you're getting updated information. But God, as it were, went silent on them for roughly 400 years. From about 400 BC, roughly, to the time that Jesus was born. 
Malachi, or Malachi for all of you Italians, was the last book in the Old Testament where God had inspired a prophet to send a message. And listen to the final words in the book of Malachi. He says there, and this is, has an ominous ring to it. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. There's a lot of mystery around that. It sounds kind of foreboding, like, woo, what is this all about? But he was really referring to the forerunner, when he talks about Elijah, the forerunner of the Messiah. And Jesus later identified John the Baptist as that Elijah, that forerunner that was to come before Jesus the Messiah came. So think about it. He speaks this stunning prophecy. Everybody get ready. It's on the way. Messiah's coming. Get ready. Get ready. It's going to happen. Malachi said so. And then nothing. <laughs> nothing. Not a single word of clarity. No updated revelation. It was a silent period, a season of waiting. I hate waiting. Trust me, folks, they hated it too. But here's a lesson that they needed to learn, and it's a lesson that all of us need to learn. I'll remind it, all of us of it a few times today. We need to be reminded, I can trust God's timing in my life. I can, because while I'm waiting, he's still working. In fact, he never stops working. Now, this is so relevant because many of you right this very moment, you say, what does this have to do with me, pastor? Is this a history? No, no, no. It's way more than a history lesson. This, has every, this is as relevant, as fresh a message from God as you could get. While you are waiting right now for whatever it is you're waiting for, God, like a grandmaster, a grand chess master is moving his pieces on the board. Oh, this is exciting. I get chills, literally, when I say this. And he's putting the pieces in place for what he's going to work out in your life and mine. While we're waiting, God never stops working. Now, that's an important lesson because when you're in waiting, remember, I hate waiting. Many of you said you're, you're, you're in that boat with me. You hate it too. And it's so easy when we're waiting to start thinking, wow, God's forgotten me here. I mean, did I miss something? Did God send a memo and I missed it or something? Has God forgotten his promises to me? And we start thinking that our waiting may just be in vain. Galatians 4 has a little line in it that is just, fabulous. It stokes me with faith and encouragement. Here's what it is, Galatians 4, where the apostle Paul writes, and he says, but when the fullness of time had come, when the time had fully come, the, the idea there is almost like a pregnancy. When the time was fully pregnant, 
God sent his son born of a woman. Now, people who are pregnant know what it's like to wait, right? Those of you who are parents, do you remember what that was like when you were in that waiting mode? Boy, I'll never forget it. Uh, Deb was pregnant with our first child, and I thought, this is going to be easy for breezy, man. This is going to be a cinch. Nine months are going to go like that. Boom, it'll be over. It's going to be so easy. But you know what? I found out nine months can be a long, stinking time to wait. And did I tell you, I hate waiting. And so I found myself in these Lamaze classes. Can you imagine me? Can you imagine me sitting yoga-like on the floor doing these breathing exercises? But trust me, I probably needed them more than Deb did. And there's all this waiting. And as you wait, you start reading these books. What to expect when you're expecting, right? And all these books about what the first year in the child's life are going to be like. But finally, after all the waiting, early March 1993, our daughter Allie arrived and the waiting was over. Now, go with me here. Go with me. Use your imagination. We kind of know what a pregnancy is like, right? We kind of know what that feels like because many have been through it or you've watched others go through it. But, but just use your imagination. I know it's kind of weird to think about, but imagine a pregnancy with all the discomfort and all the inconveniences that go with that. But you don't know if it's going to be nine months or 15 months, or 30 months, or I know it's weird weird to even think of it, but you don't know if it's even going to take years. That's the closest equivalent I can come up with to what it was like for God's people to be waiting for Messiah to come. They knew it was going to happen, no doubt about that, But it could go on and on. They found out this thing, we don't have a clue. And so no wonder they were crying out, how long, oh Lord? That was the question on everyone's mind. And experientially, is that not the question on many people's minds today in our personal lives, in our country, in our society, in our world? In our family, we all have something we're kind of hoping for and waiting for. And that big question in our mind is, how long, oh Lord? For some of you, it looks like this. You thought that by this Christmas, you wouldn't be alone anymore. Oh, don't, you say, don't get me wrong. I know that singleness is not a disease or anything. I know that Jesus was single. I know that many of the men and women I respect the most are single individuals, but I just, I just, just thought I'd be married by now. But it looks like another Christmas is going to come and go without that soulmate, without that special someone in your life. Or maybe you thought that you're Young business would be flourishing night right now, but COVID-19 has dealt you a harsh blow. And not only are you not 
thriving, you honestly wonder if you will survive. Or maybe you thought that you would spend this Christmas cancer-free, but as for now, you're still in waiting mode. You still don't know if the battle is won. Or maybe you thought that by Christmas 2020, it would be more than just you and your spouse because your hearts have been aching for that child. You've been wanting to get pregnant, but as for now, that blessing has not come in your life. And I could go on and on. You know the situation you're dealing with. And many people are crying out, how long, oh Lord? As much as I hate waiting, one of the ways that God stretches me as a Christ follower is that he tells me in his word that waiting has a payoff. Did you know that? Over and over, there are many verses that tell us that we are to wait for the Lord, and we're to do that knowing there's going to be a payoff. Consider Psalm 27. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. There it is. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So as God's children, we've got to learn that his timing is best even when we don't understand it. And I'm absolutely convinced that God has an encouraging word for you today from his word. And I'll say that lesson again, that I need to learn, that we need to learn as followers of Jesus, as a community of faith, we, listen, we can trust God's timing in our lives. Because while we're waiting, he is always, always working. I read from Luke chapter 2, the traditional Christmas story, these three verses. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, footnote, that's a big world. Rome had a big footprint. Rome was by far the most powerful nation and empire in the world at this time, they were gobbling up new provinces and nations and lands at record speed. It was unbelievable. So for a census to be taken of the entire Roman world was no small feat, let me tell you. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. Notice those words, in those days. Here's a question for you. What made those days different from all the other days down through the centuries? Remember, they've been waiting. It's like a pregnancy, but it may not be nine months. It could be years. It could be eons of time for all they know. I mean, the prophets had been writing about the Messiah coming for centuries. In fact, just to show you how far that really went, do any of you remember the, it's now become almost a modern classic, The Passion of the Christ? Remember that? Some of you have seen it many times. Some of you saw it once and that was enough. Thank you very much. It's a lot of blood, a lot of gore, but it tells the story realistically of our Lord and his passion, what he went through. Do, do any of you remember that scene? It, it's almost like random. It feels random in the movie. 
But Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And then when he gets up from his time of prayer, do you remember this scene? It happened so quickly. He knows what awaits him, and he's just in agony there as he prays. And as he gets up, he steps on the head of a serpent. It's like, where'd that come from? Why did they throw that in there? What does that have to do with anything? But if you know the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, that little moment that the director added in that movie sends chills up your spine. When Jesus steps on the head of that serpent, it reminds us of the very first prophecy about Messiah in all of Scripture. It's Genesis 3.15. And it says, and I it's God speaking to Satan here, the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Get this part. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So when the director put that in the passion of the Christ and Jesus stepped on the head and crushed the head of that serpent, that's a fulfillment of that prophecy. And that's exactly what Jesus did at the cross in the empty tomb. He crushed the head of Satan. And so understandably, the people who understood that prophecy were going, bring it on, God. We want to see that happen. We want to see Satan's head crushed. But why is it taking so long? And I think that's precisely where many of us today are as we live in these final days of 2020. What a year this has been, huh? Woo! Nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw a year like this, but it's kind of like we're stuck. We're stuck here between Malachi and Matthew. We're in that in-between time. Here's what I mean. You see, just like they were expecting Messiah's first coming, when Jesus ascended bodily into heaven, you remember what was promised by the angels? Acts 1, you can read it. The angels said to everybody listening and watching, and said, look, just as you've seen Jesus go, listen, listen up, everybody. He's coming back. He's coming back again. And so here we are, folks, you and me, we're in waiting mode. And it's like our souls are crying out, how long, oh Lord. And we turn the news on and we hear about another murder. Or we hear about another child that's been abused or abducted. We hear of terrorist activities and bombings and war and desolation. And honestly, it's kind of challenging to feel the warmth of Christmas spirit when the cold of COVID spirit is gripping our nation. Our hearts cry out, how long, O Lord, until Jesus returns and cleans house. How long until Jesus comes back in power and glory to set the record straight and bring true justice to bear? How long are we going to have to wait? It's like we're in the pains of pregnancy here. This is not comfortable between, be between Malachi and Matthew. It's not comfortable to be in waiting mode. It's so... Ugh. You just want it to be over. Now listen, I'm sure there were a lot of faithful Jewish believers before Messiah came the first time who began to wonder if it was ever, and I mean ever, going to happen. Surely God wouldn't take this long. 
They knew the scriptures. They could quote the promises back and forth. But when you've been waiting for that long and you've been disappointed for a long time, it's pretty easy to start feeling it's never going to happen, right? And that's our temptation today. If you're in waiting mode for something, you need to understand that God's timing is vastly different than ours. They're Christ followers today, true, blue, real deal disciples of Jesus who are so weary of waiting, they start to feel, I'm not sure this is ever going to happen. Hey, did you know that even that was prophesied about? The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 wrote these words, Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And by the way, just for the record, that's pretty flawed thinking, isn't it? For any of us to say just because something hasn't happened, that means it's not going to happen, is actually quite illogical. But I know the feeling, don't you? Because have I told you? I'm not sure I've ever told you this. I, I hate waiting. Maybe you're like me. And so I get the emotional weariness of it all. It leads us into stinking thinking. And yet many people begin to really question God's timing and doubt that God, the grand chess master of life, knows what he's doing. So Peter goes on in that very same section, and he says in verse 8, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. In other words, don't forget this. When you're driving on the Northway and you've just about had it, when you're sitting at home and you get so frustrated, you just kind of groan out, I'm so sick of this COVID mess. When you're dealing with yet another challenge at work and you think, when are these employees ever going to get it? Or when is my boss ever going to get a clue? You need to just remember this verse. For if the Lord One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God's timing is not our timing. God's techniques are not our techniques, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God created time. He lives outside of the realm of time and space. He is not bound by time, and good, sound Christian Biblically-based theology teaches us that God has complete knowledge of everything at once. So God doesn't freak out about timing issues. We do. We do because we don't know anything other than time and space. God lives outside all that. So the Apostle Peter reminds us God's way of looking at things is very different than ours. So let me say it again. I can trust God's timing in my life because while I'm waiting, he is still working. Now, let me come full circle. I asked you a question a while ago that I never answered. And and I want to go back to that question right now. Here's here's that verse again. Verse one, 
Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And the question that I ask you before is, what made those days different from all the other days down through the centuries? And what made those days different is that the grand chess master was moving the pieces on the board, as it were, and now all the pieces were in place for Messiah to come. Watch this now. Linguistically, politically, culturally, all the pieces were in the right places on the chessboard. All the conditions were optimal for the good news about the Messiah to be spread around the world. That's what made those days different than all the other days. All the pieces were now in place. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by linguistically? The pieces were in place. Roughly 300 years 350 years before that, the one we call Alexander the Great conquered that part of the world, and the Greek language and this Hellenistic influence became dominant. And here's the importance of that. Virtually everyone spoke Greek. Before that, there were just little pockets of languages here and there, and you could travel a short distance. You couldn't even understand the people's language. Now, everybody spoke at least some Greek. It was the language of commerce. And is it surprising to you that an almighty, omniscient God, when he begins to speak again and inspire writers again to write scripture down, hey, just a little, just a little question, which language do you think God would choose? for those scriptures to be put into. Doesn't take brain science, does it? Since God wants people to be saved and to hear the truth, guess what? He didn't put it in some obscure language. He put it in Koine Greek so as many people as possible could read it and hear it and get the message. The timing was just right politically. What do I mean by politically the timing being right? Well, the Roman Empire, as I said, was huge. And they were enjoying at this time something called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. There were, in fact, roughly two centuries of world peace, believe it or not, where Rome was ruling and created an ideal environment for Jesus to be born. Now, there was still some violence, of course. There were still skirmishes here and there. But as far as the massive wars that had so marred and crippled the ancient world, this Pax Romana was a time of relative peace. And one significant part of that is that people felt safer traveling than they had ever felt. And so Rome had put this spider web of wonderful roads all across their empire to connect the various parts of it. And guess what? People like the Apostle Paul and other early missionaries traveled on those roads as they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Politically, it was the right time. God had put all of the pieces into place. And culturally, it was the right time. It was a time of questioning and learning. 
Socrates had come along and developed a whole style that had kind of taken the day of asking questions and exploring answers through dialogue. It made it a perfect backdrop for the moment that God would give the answer and Messiah would move into the neighborhood. So God, the grand chess master, has moved all the pieces in the place, and now again, here's this huge lesson for us. Do you have ears to hear it right now? You need this. You've been thinking, God's silent. Where's God? I don't feel like my prayers are getting answered. How long, oh Lord, are we gonna have to wait till we get some clear word from you? Listen, when we hear, we think we're not hearing from God, God is still moving and putting all the pieces in the place. When you feel God has checked out, nothing could be further from the truth. It was during this so-called silent period that God was masterfully orchestrating events, preparing for Jesus' arrival. And friend, don't you think for a minute, don't think for a minute that while you're waiting in silence, don't think for one moment that God is not active. He doesn't have to declare all of his activities to you. We couldn't handle it if he did. It's during those very seasons when it looks like the enemy is winning that God is biding his time, moving his pawns on the chessboard, and he's about to put the devil in checkmate. There's a number of psalms that I rehearse every week just for my own soul. I hope you practice something like this. I know dozens and scores of you do. But one of the psalms that I love to meditate on is Psalm 121. It's a great psalm, one of the songs of ascent in in the psaltery. The writer says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Every every week as I meditate on that, you know what it says to me? God doesn't sleep on the job. While we're waiting, God's working. He chose just the right time, linguistically, politically, culturally, for Messiah to be born, and God shows that same patience today. So when we ask, why doesn't Jesus just return and just clean house? Well, his heart, his heart is still the same as it always was. And right in that same section that we've been looking at this morning, he says these words, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We may want Christ to return today, but from his perspective, The longer he waits, the more can hear the gospel and the more can be saved. And that's worth waiting for. And I can't help but wonder, I just can't help but wonder, could you, listen to me online right now, could you be one of the people that Jesus is waiting for? 
sitting at Saratoga today or Half Moon or Latham, I wonder if God the Holy Spirit is drawing you, but maybe not yet, you haven't responded quite yet. Listen, you may be one of the reasons that he's waiting. Could be. He's waiting for you. I don't, I don't know the road you've been on and all the circuitous paths spiritually and emotionally and relationally, but God does. And God hasn't missed a part of it, not a single part of your life. And he's waiting for you. But I would be utterly irresponsible as a preacher if I did not also tell you this, and I end on this, I promise. He will not always wait. Unlike me, God's really good at waiting. He's proven it through his track record because he doesn't count time the way we do. But I got to tell you this as I close, God will not always wait. Hear me today. One of these days in the fullness of time, just like his first coming, Christ will come again in glory. And he's not coming the next time to be beaten and criticized and ostracized and cursed, he is coming crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You really, yeah, praise God, I agree. <laughs> That's good news. That's good news. But here, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm just putting it to you straight. You really need to be on his team. You want to be sure you're on his team because he's the winner. Father, I can't help but believe that one of the reasons that you're waiting a bit longer is because there's some people with real names, real souls, real lives that you're waiting for. Right now, by your amazing sovereign grace, would you draw them to our Savior, the Lord Jesus? Right now, right now in this moment, let them mark this moment as the moment they crossed over, said, I repent of my sins. I turn around. I've been going the wrong way. I'm sorry, Lord, I'm wrong. I turn around and I start going your way. I yield my life to you. May this be that moment, oh Lord. Thank you that you keep on waiting because you love people so much. Thank you that that's your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.